Hello and welcome to this second March 2009 edition of Podularity, the online books programme that brings you authors and books in a pod. My name is George Miller, and my guest this week is Louise Foxcroft. Louise is a medical historian and the author of Hot Flushies, Cold Science, a history of the modern menopause. In the book, Louise shows how, in the 18th century, a process which women had been coping with for millennia was given a name, a set of symptoms identified and an array of treatments devised. Some were benign. Others, such as surgical interventions, make chilling reading. It's shocking, too, to see how recent are some expressions of misogyny by medical professionals quoted in the book. And if the menopause is a problem, it's not one which either women or medics seem yet to have solved. I put it to Louise that in a world in which there are few remaining taboos surrounding our health or our sexuality, the menopause perhaps represented a last taboo. Well, I think it's one of the last taboos, definitely, and it does cause enormous embarrassment. So that when I have been asked, as I quite often am here, what are you working on? And I say, I'm doing a medico-cultural history of the menopause. People either back, back off in utter alarm... Or, uh, if they're women of a certain age, they get very, very interested. So it's not a taboo amongst women, but it is a taboo in the wider society. And there's a whole generational difference as well. So, for instance, when I told my father what I was working on, he was sort of slightly cross and slightly appalled and said something extraordinary, like, oh, oh, charming! Surely nobody wants to read that. When I told my son, who's nearly 30, he was full of questions and was saying, I don't know anything about that. Why don't I know anything about that? Surely I should know. And when did you have yours? And when did Nana have hers? And, and what do women do? And so I think there's a big generational difference as to how menopause is approached. And I, I'm hoping that the book will in some way appeal to younger women and perimenopausal women and their partners because of course they have the problem of um, if they're starting families later they've got the problem of fertility and when they might become infertile so I think it's of interest to them and I think they're much more open to it so I think it might be a taboo now and still ridiculously is for baby boomers but I don't think it will be in the future. You mentioned the generational difference with men, but what's the generational difference been with women that you've... Women of, uh, who are in their 40s and 50s are usually very keen to talk about it and do talk about it amongst themselves and are very interested in it, but not particularly knowledgeable. And I mean, in that sense, I mean not necessarily knowledgeable about why we regard menopause with dread and also not particularly knowledgeable about hormone replacement therapy and about all the various other therapies that are offered to menopausal women. So there's a sort of, there's a blanket of silence and you only tend to broach that or to break through it when it's actually happening to you. I think for older women that I've spoken to, those who are in their sort of 60s, 70s and 80s, they tend to, they poo-poo it. They go, well, you just do it, don't you? And they obviously did. Nobody really talked about it then. Nobody shared experiences. Very few people took any medicines for it. It was mainly just down to management. And, of course, the menopause is a very individual experience. And so you just deal with it as you had it. And it, I don't know if that's a sort of wartime mentality. You just sort of pitch in, you know, grow your own menopause, as it were. But older women don't seem to have any problem with it at all. And you date 
what what you refer to as the pathologization of the menopause to the early 18th century is is that right sort of starting yes. then and then really taking off in the 19th century yeah um yes the um early greek and roman physicians did discuss menopause but only as the end of fertility and that women weren't interesting after that because once they'd stopped breeding um, what's the point that's the gateway to death that was a phrase that was used so it's a gateway to death at that point so it's mentioned but only as a precursor of disease and death and it doesn't really become a subject in its own right until the 18th century when you get the first tract and that was a french piece it all takes off in the 19th century but the early ancient ideas about women informed the 18th century material. It, they informed the rise of science. So women as pathological specimens, the male being the ideal form and the female being the deformed and mutilated male and therefore abnormal and diseased pretty much, informed the beginnings of the rise of science as it's known and informed all those early medical tracts on women's bodies and women's experience. So science, as it applies to women, medical science, as it applies to women, and I'm talking very broadly here, it's a bit of a broad sweep, mm. is misogynistic because it comes from that early idea. Come the 18th century, it wasn't a break with how women had been seen, but there was a medical profession and a clientele, critically, which could be, one might say, taken advantage of mm. in order to, to professionalise the intervention, in order to, inverted commas, help women cope to yes. get through the menopause. It's the point at which, especially as you go into the 19th century, that the medical profession is beginning to consolidate itself and people are exploiting the marketplace and pursuing their own specialisms. So there you, what you find are particular physicians concentrating on particular areas of medicine or particular conditions and particular diseases. And there are specific essays and works mainly for other physicians, but also for some of their clientele that are specifically about the menopause and how you might deal with it. But at this point in time, all they're offering you is management and how to manage it because there's very little else. I mean, you might take opium if you're suffering from headaches or, or other aches and pains, but they might, may not be specifically menopausal symptoms, and that's a whole other story, the whole list of symptoms that comes into it, and, but which happen at that period in your life. But there are no, there's, no, there's no real therapy for it. It's just management. And um, without jumping the gun, what's happened is that we've gone through a whole period of management, and then as the medical profession has specialised, treatments have been devised, and they run from various sort of opiate treatments through hydrotherapy and treatments for hysteria because that comes under the list of symptoms. And then up into the 19th century, up into the 20th century, endocrinology, all the new hormone drugs, uh, hormones, artificial hormones being isolated and then used. So we've gone through a period of intense medication and now we're coming back to management through all the cancer scares to do with hormone replacement therapy. And you find that what's happening with the pharmaceutical companies that they're now saying that um, the hormone drugs are not to, in inverted commas, 
cure the menopause, which of course they never did, um, because it's not a disease, it's a natural phenomenon, but they are to manage the menopause. So there's been a whole swing of the pendulum and that's what the pharmaceutical companies are aiming at now, management. And I would say that you can manage your own menopause. I mean, there's clearly been a big issue over what the menopause actually is. Yeah. And it seems to have sort of magnetically attracted as you say, all sorts of symptoms, which may be completely unrelated, mm. or maybe even imaginary symptoms mm. or projections of symptoms. Mm. But it has, they've all sort of clustered around this and therefore been ripe for a whole range of treatments. Yes. The, um, the menopause just, I mean, it occurs at a particular time in life when you're on that ageing, oh, you're getting older and there's no denying it. But um, the, all, all this huge list of symptoms, which I, I could read out to you, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the only actual agreed symptom now is vasomotor problems which are hot flushes everything else comes and goes sleeplessness depression osteoporosis hot, i mean they they could be to do with the menopause but actually they're just happening at the same time uh, but they get logged and uh, lumped together with the menopause and then they get treated with it and so what happens is that women dread the menopause because they think this is what's going to happen to them but of course it's not what happens necessarily. It's not what happens at all. And some women just sail straight through it. And other women have all sorts of trouble, but they would have had those troubles anyway, most likely. Mm. So the menopause, I suppose, really is a convergence point for, or a lens through which you can see the way in which women's sexuality has been regulated or the way in which women's sexuality has been found troubling mm. and therefore been regulated through mm. throughout um, human history. It has, and you you can't win, really. If you're a young woman and you're sexually voracious, you're in trouble. If you're an old woman and you're sexually voracious, you're in trouble. And and either way, vice versa, you're also in trouble. So if you're young and you're not interested in sex, you're dysfunctional. And if you're old, you're not interested in sex, well, you're just invisible. You might as well forget it. And it is a, it is a question, I think you're right, and it is a question of regulating women's sexuality, but nobody's quite sure really what they want women to do or it's to turning be. the flame up a bit or down a bit yeah but there's a in the book there's a an advert for um a hormonal is it a cream endocrine yes yeah t t tell tell me a bit about that because i think there's something interesting going on there well that's a that's a really good one the the strap line to the endocrine advert is um how long since he said i love you and it's all to do with making yourself um desirable or keeping yourself desirable for your for your husband, obviously, because wedding rings are sort of uh, very um, prominent in the illustration to the advert. But you keep yourself viable and you keep yourself a sexual being. And it, I mean, it says nothing about male sexuality at all. That doesn't that doesn't come into it. I mean, I do write about the male menopause and whether or whether or not that exists. And there's a huge argument about that too, mainly to do with the pharmaceutical companies because they would like another market. The the endocrine ad goes straight to the heart of keeping yourself sexually viable and that's the essence of femininity it's kind of like your responsibility to make sure that it's, the, it's the pilot light is yes it's up and then um when the hormone drugs were first being marketed um that was a major selling point that you should keep yourself um in the sexual marketplace or at least in the swing of it as far as your husband is concerned and that if you don't and this is, um, I'm taking this quote from Robert Wilson's book, Feminine Forever, which was published in 1966, I think. 
where he says that menopause and postmenopausal women are castrates and he really can't understand how they can endure lives post-fertility and post-sexual viability which is a nonsense anyway because of course you're still sexually viable and still you, you want that intimacy with your partner but that's what they were selling it on and then in fact, and it was a best-selling book, Robert Wilson's, and it's an evil, foul little <laughs> little tome. Um, and, of course, it turns out later that he was in the pay of a major pharmaceutical company. Wow. But it plays on all those fears, all those anxieties, that whole dread that women have been taught to feel about the menopause. And that's just that's not my argument. There was a, a physician called John Fothergill who wrote in the late 18th century, and he said that it's amazing that women have been taught to dread this natural phenomenon. Mm. So that's a constant. But he was really unusual. Very. Well, he was unusual. In fact, there weren't that many men writing, uh, of course men, because there weren't any women medics at that point in time. There weren't that many men writing on the menopause because it's so, who you know, who wants to know? you know, what's the point of women after that stage in their life? So there weren't many men writing on it. So what he was doing was reflecting women's opinions, I think, in management and um, the way they managed their own condition. Well, one of the most shocking things in the book, I thought, was the surgical interventions which seemed to peak around the mid-19th century. Can you say a bit about what was going on there? Yes, that's all very barbaric. There were vast numbers of ovariotomies being carried out, and in, uh, mostly pioneered in America. There was a huge slave population that you could operate on. There was one particular woman who underwent 34 gynecological operations at the hands of one particular American surgeon. And it's, it's difficult because without that experimental surgery, you wouldn't have had the progression in knowledge but there's a lot of terrible mistakes and, I mean, there are many deaths that, that went into that learning process. One of the antecedents of your book is Germaine Greer's book, The Change. You quote her as saying that the menopause is a time for mourning and a, yes. and a melancholy time. And that, it seemed to me, kind of joined up with this sort of sense that this was a time for women to kind of retreat and weather and and disappear and i wondered if you do you th i mean do you think that that kind of attitude is actually doing women any favors it seems to be a kind of I negative uh, it does doesn't it i think it's a double-edged sword because i do th i think it's a double-edged sword because it sort of perpetuates that idea that you do become invisible and you you're mourning that gateway to death because other other commentators and medics have said, oh, well, this is a partial death because once fertility has gone, then what's the point of you, really? So you have partially died. And it's extraordinarily negative. And it's just, I think, that particular phrase, I did pick it out because, I, because of the language that she uses, and she uses the, the term mourning. I'm sort of reluctant to jump on the empowerment, let's put a positive spin on absolutely everything bandwagon because I think that's just as false as thinking that you've actually got something to mourn. I do think that when women get older, they just really don't need to play the game anymore. They don't need to be on that sexual merry-go-round. They can just do whatever they damn well like. So putting a gloss on it one way or another, I think that's up to the individual woman. And she may want to get on that merry-go-round. She may want to get off it. <laughs> 
and it's up to her. What I don't like are those sort of cultural pronouncements mm. that tell you how you should feel. Mm. You talk about the need to remove established constraints of medicine and culture. That seemed to me like quite a big. That's a, quite Huge, a big demand. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do you where oh, do you think dear. where do you think the impetus for change must come from if that if that's actually going to because it seems to me the menopause is symptomatic of wider attitudes to women in society. It's just it's just yeah. an interesting case to think about, but in fact, it's a yeah. manifestation of, of of a wider oh, phenomenon. It is, it is, but and I think um, I think it comes from women themselves, and I think it is changing. So there, are, I mean, the more knowledge you have about, say, hormone replacement therapy, the better decision you can make as to whether you want to take it or not. And the best advice seems to be that you take it if you think the benefits outweigh the disadvantage and make no mistake, there are disadvantages to it. And only if there are clear advantages to it. And so I think the more information women have and the more they are willing to talk about it and not be embarrassed by it, because people aren't embarrassed by their pregnancies, I find it quite extraordinary that um, they're embarrassed by their menopause and that's to do with worth and beauty and sexuality and fertility and all those sorts of things. I think we just have to forget that and we just have to grow up a bit and deal with it. I think it comes from women themselves and that the cultural pressures, so the taboos, the embarrassments, the pharmaceutical pressures, they'll follow the market and we are the market. So if we decide or we gradually move over the course, I mean, it's not going to happen overnight, over the course of, I don't know, one or two generations or more, then those constraints will alter. Do you see things like women's magazines and publishing doing things which point in that direction or are they still treating it as a a condition which has got to be got through? It's, It's mixed, that one. There was an article recently in a tabloid newspaper, I mean very recently in a tabloid newspaper, which had the title Surviving the Menopause. I mean, you know, as if you're going to sort of drop down dead as soon as you stop bleeding. I mean, it's just it's just a nonsense. Or you might see another headline which says, How to get through the menopause now. You know, the urgency, the ludicrous, it's just ludicrous. So, but it's a mixed, there's a real mixture. I think it is changing, but it's gradual. And it's it's sort of too gradual for my liking. But I think it is moving in the right direction. That was Louise Foxcroft. Her book, Hot Flushies, Cold Science, A History of the Modern Menopause, is out now in paperback. If you've enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you have, you can make sure you don't miss future episodes by going to iTunes and subscribing. Just type Podularity in the search box and then subscribe. It's quick, free and easy. Thank you for listening, and until next time, goodbye.